Our scriptural text today will be from the book of Revelation. A preacher once said, when it comes to the book of Revelation, there are two types of Christians. Those who really like it, and those who are scared of those who really like it. (laughs) Fair? It has come to be primarily associated with ongoing and recurrent attempts to nail down when and how the world is going to end. The first time this happened, 500 A.D. People thought the world would end. It happened again in a major way in 1000 and 1033, maybe the year 2000, no, 2004, no, 2013. Still here, the guesses have been wrong thus far, and this is honestly just the highlight reel. When these years roll around, people start looking for that crazy revelation imagery. Do you know what I'm talking about? They start looking for a dragon with seven heads and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, a false prophet, and a wolf in lamb's clothing. There are earthquakes and war, plagues and famines, and that famous number, 666. Yes, the book of Revelation gets a fairly well-deserved reputation for being a little bit dramatic, a bit intense, and a touch crazy. All of this is why some of us, you don't have to raise your hand, back slowly away from the book of Revelation. Many of us treat it like an accidental appendage on the end of our Bible and hope if we don't look at it, we won't get touched by the crazy. The images are wild, they're fantastic, they're intense, and the prophecies seem outlandish and strange. But as Christians who uphold the Bible as the word of God and as an authority in our lives, what do we do with the book of Revelation? Do we dismiss it as superstitious ramblings from people long ago? Do we just avoid it and pretend it's not there? Or do we watch for dragons and horsemen? Ladies and gentlemen, please buckle your seatbelts and keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle. Please do not touch the dragon or the sea of fire, because we are venturing into the book of Revelation. For the next ten minutes, all I ask is that you set aside your preconceptions and wonder with me what God could be saying to us today through this interesting book. As we start our tour, the first thing you need to notice is that the church has never really been popular. At the point in time this book was written, being a Christian could get you thrown in jail, which is actually really important because it helps to explain the crazy imagery. Imagine walking down the street and you walk by two people and hear one of them say, I successfully broke into the armory in Huntsville and stole the top secret plans for the new bomb they are building. When should I take them back to the hidden base? Well, you would be shocked. Because when people talk about illegal things, they use different language, don't they? You speak in code. Spies don't say, I have stolen the nuclear plans. When can we meet? They say, I have mom's gift. When is the birthday party? Generally over a fuzzy radio transmission. Or the package was delayed because the horse broke its leg. In case you are wondering, I didn't even need to use Google to look up these spy phrases. 
I made them all by myself. <laughs> Which either means I would have made a great spy or means it's good I chose a different profession. <laughs> the Christians who read this letter in Revelation knew they were reading coded messages. You use code, so if your letter is read, you don't end up in jail. So the book of Revelation is a letter written in code to Christians living in a time when massive forces are shifting in the world. Armies are clashing and people's lives hang in the balance. Laws are being passed that make being a Christian less and less legal. And the Roman Empire is demanding that Christians and everyone else make sacrifices to their gods, including the Roman emperor himself. Just imagine trying to be a Christian in all of this. How do you stay faithful when you're surrounded by distractions? What does it mean to be a Christian when it could hurt you at work or risk your relationship with friends or even with your family? Or imagine trying to raise children in all of that. You try to teach them to follow God, to be faithful and kind, to love their enemy. Meanwhile, there's literally a coliseum down the street where your child can go and watch people being killed for entertainment. And your children's peers are going with their parents to Roman temples where they would use these smoke and mirror displays to try and trick you into believing their gods are real. People are telling them to worship false gods, telling them that Christians are to blame for losing wars. People own slaves, and if you are discovered as a Christian, you just might end up a slave yourself. You can understand why these Christians got discouraged. And being discouraged leads to being complacent. It's easier to be a sort of Christian. It's easier to let things go and try to blend in, to become a part of the scenery, because Christians had become an oppressed population. Which is why the images in Revelation aren't just codes. They are these big dramatic images because life was dramatic. When there is a man living in Rome who sends an army to kill your family and friends and destroys the temple that your ancestors died to build and to protect, he's not a bad guy. You call him the beast of the sea with seven heads because that's how it feels. But there is one other reason why this word from God comes in images. This letter was originally sent from a man named John to the churches of Asia, but it is also a letter from the Holy Spirit to the church, a letter from God to Christians whenever they feel like they are living in scary times. Because Revelation recognizes that there really are scary things in the world. And since we live in a scary world still, let's hear our text from Revelation. Uh, Chapter 1, and see what it is saying to us today. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, 
priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The book of Revelation as a whole helps us to name evil because evil will masquerade as good and if you don't name what is bad, it just might walk in through your front door. But the dramatic images of this evil are matched by dramatic images of good. God himself speaks and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. Now, I think as Christians we get the was part. Jesus died for our sins. And we get that he is to come part. We are anticipating having eternity with God in heaven. I think the part where we get stuck is God is. Often we wonder, where is God right now? We want to say, I'm so glad you're in the beginning, I'm so glad you're at the end, but where are you right now? And as the TV turns nastier and people's language gets more hateful by the day, where are you now? And as we worry about our children and what in this crazy world might grab a hold of them, where are you now? As we watch meth in our county be replaced by prescription pills and heroin, where are you now? As we battle addiction in our lives, in our families, in our schools, where are you now? And as we worry about how we could have been a better parent or spouse or son or daughter, where are you right now? Revelation invites us to look at the giant forces in the world, at the dragons that roar and the beasts that shake the ground and the horses that sweep in and carry us away and ask God, where are you in the midst of this? Because when you suddenly find yourself unemployed with a mortgage to pay and mouth to feed, that's not too bad. That thing is a monster. And when our political climate on every side of the aisle seems to be getting more hateful by the day, it feels like a seven-headed creature that you don't want to go anywhere near. And when drugs are creeping into our schools, when we can't control who our children will be around and what they will be pressured to be a part of, we wonder what wolf is lurking around dressed as a sheep. And when we're trying to hold together a faithful family, when we are trying to hold on to Christian integrity in the workplace, when we are trying to stand for what we know our faith requires of us, and these massive cultural forces feel like they're ripping things apart, that's not a bad day. That's a dragon. And yet, perplexingly, frustratingly, Revelation looks back at us and says, Grace to you and peace. From the one who is, the one who was, and the one who will be. Grace and peace. What grace? What peace? 
if God is giving us grace and peace in the present, then why don't we have more grace and peace? Last Sunday, my wife stood in this pulpit and proclaimed that Christ is risen. And we didn't just do that here. Christians did this around the world. All around the world, Christians proclaimed the power and truth of Christ's resurrection. But the monsters that inhabited our lives didn't seem to notice, did they? They didn't get the memo. They didn't pack their bags and wander off into the sunset at last defeated. So where is our grace? Where is our peace? Did you know that you can sign up to receive emails from Amazon when they deliver a package? I found that out, which is actually really helpful. They let you know that your package has been shipped, and they send you an email right to your inbox saying, your package has been delivered. Well, when we started ordering packages to the church, we would get our email from Amazon letting us know that the package had been delivered, which was confusing because no one had walked in. We had the notice of a delivery, but no package. Turns out having a church with 14,000 doors is confusing for delivery people. So now when we get a package, we circle the building. Where is this package? Amazon says it's here. Does Mother Stay Out have it? Is it by the back door? Did someone pick it up? Did someone steal it? Does the custodian have it in her closet? If it's not at a door, maybe it's in the mailbox. Isn't this how God's offer of grace and peace feels? Some days we have the notice of delivery, and we wonder, where is it? I can read here that God is sending grace and peace, but... Where is it and how do I get it? The book of Revelation is going to wander into some crazy territory. It is going to talk about political monsters, about disease, persecution, and scarcity. It will describe a landscape that may sometimes feel like it's just outside our back door. But it starts with this claim, that grace and peace are ours. It doesn't explain how it says it's true. And I think part of it is you don't get grace and peace by staring at the monsters. They come by realizing that you are already, right now, in the kingdom of God. And they come by slowly letting God convince you that being in his kingdom is all you really want. You will be at peace when you desire what God desires. That's why peace is coupled with grace. Micah and I have peace in our home when we want the same thing. When I want peanut butter and honey sandwiches again, and Micah wants a little more variety in our lunch schedule, there is no peace. When I love waking up early and chatting my wife's ear off, and she loves waking up and sitting in several hours of silence with coffee, there is no peace. When she wants a puppy now, and I think it would be prudent to wait, there is no peace. And when we want sin, but God doesn't, there is no peace. Search all 14,000 doors, you won't find it. But when we humble ourselves to receive God's grace, when we let God change our desires to look like his, even when unwelcome monsters show up at our door, you will be surprised that sitting right beside them is that little package of peace. Revelation's point is that there are monsters in the world. 
And with those monsters, we feel like there's no room to want what God wants. There's no chance of peace. But the truth is, God is, and God was, and God is to come. Humble yourself before God. And watch how the God that protected those first Christians will protect you and your children and your children's children. Grace to you and peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.